fashion radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! I, <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. And it's always a treat, and the time flies by when we're joined with uh, uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Bobby, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. So glad to be here. Okay, let's see. Let's start with James Craig. This is uh, kind of an interesting uh, story here. Former Detroit Police Chief James Craig, a Republican candidate for governor, said Wednesday he suspects his former campaign manager used his electronic signature to sign his name without his knowledge to a campaign fundraising letter that criticized the Michigan State Police. Craig also hinted the letter Ooh. may have been an act of campaign sabotage despite the fact he previously called out the MSP during an appearance on Tucker Carlson tonight on Fox News. Craig made the new accusations during an interview with host Dave Ackerley on a Lansing Radio Public Affairs show, the WILS Morning Wake Up. In his effort to disavow this fundraising letter on his behalf, is Chief Craig suggesting that this letter was campaign sabotage that his former campaign manager participated in? Ooh. Sounds like it. It does yeah, sound I, like I, it. I, I had not heard about that. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I'm particularly involved with Tucker Carlson. Boy, that guy gets on everybody's IQ. Yeah, yeah I say. Well, I, I, I'm not sure Craig needs <laughs> I love to that go there. Funny. Uh, you know, and uh, we don't always ask people who that, but it was rather funny. And uh, when he when he jumped on the Supreme Court justices, IQ condemning her almost racially for that. And uh, I'm uh, being associated with that kind of stuff. I I don't blame James Creek. I don't know whether it's true or not, but just the linkage bothers me. You know, it's one of those things where I just like to sit back and watch and see what falls yeah. out because it, there's not enough there to to really decide, you know, what yeah. really happened. You don't know. Well, they're I, saying yeah, a fundraising. That's, that's with me as well. Chief Craig <laughs> has been uh, criticizing the Michigan State Police on a number of different things, and 
he had a fundraising letter that went out with some of the same rhetoric in it, and it backfired on him. I'm wondering, is he trying to ingratiate himself with the, the hardcore Trump supporters? Because in a primary, it's going to be folks like that who are more than likely going to turn out in the August primary rather than the general population. That's, that's always the case with any primaries. You appeal to the hardcore within your party. You think that's Craig's strategy is to, in a sense, move well, to the I right? I don't to, know. Does the primary the, election? Does, does that but I would, I would guess that that's the reason. You know, <clears throat> Trump has... Uh, in the eyes of candidates who are running as blacks on the Republican side, uh, Trump bears a lot of uh, uh, credit for their expertise and for their uh, their uh, awareness among the voting public. Is, well, is, you know, what this illustrates to me is if you're smart and you're running for office, you're very careful about your words that are spoken versus yes. your words that are written. Because you can get up at a fundraiser and say things and then deny them, unless somebody recorded you and you know puts it on, on YouTube. But to put it in writing and have it out there where people can actually pick it up and look at it, that's really bad strategy if he knew about it. Well, yeah. the thing that, that seems weird, and, and maybe this is just the, the nature of party politics in the primary season these days, but... Uh, you know, if if uh, Chief Craig wants to appeal to black voters, as he must as a black candidate yeah, running exactly. for governor in Michigan, um, then it's appropriate to criticize the Michigan State Police. But if he wants to appeal to Trumpers, he doesn't yeah. dare get caught criticizing the Michigan State Police. So is this a case where hmm. he, he did it for one ant, for one audience, and then he walked it back for a different audience? That happens uh, many times when uh, you have candidates of color running for political office. They get in one group and, and shout the, all of the right things to say, and then get in another group and have to do the reverse of that. And but it would, be also, it would also be interesting to know whether he had a special mailing list that he sent the letter to, or that people sent the letter to, was it largely uh, his black audience and, and black supporters, or was it a general thing? And that would also show smart strategy. If he doesn't have a, an experienced um, group working with him on this team, they might have really just screwed up. Yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking here, too. Ma mailed a letter meant for one group to a different group? Could have been. Possible, this yeah. is this is similar to what happened to the mayor of New York. He got caught in the same kind of situation when he called the policeman the c word. Remember? Yeah. Anybody? I, I, okay. I I was just remembering um, what Chad Livengood said about you know when he broke that story about uh, Cindy Gamrat and uh, Todd. Oh yeah. What's his name? Um, yeah, Corser. Corser. Yeah. And and he said, you know, he'd he'd heard about the relationship that they had for months and he he didn't want to cover it. He didn't think anything of it until the cover ups and the emails mm -hmm. and the weird yeah. use of yeah. government resources. He said that's when it became a story and I, I think this this could be one of those stories where it's it's the usual you know campaign screw up, but in the process of of trying to make it seem like it didn't happen, if it uh, 
doesn't create more trouble than it's worth. You know, yeah. it occurs, I was going to say it occurs to me, too, that you know, when you've got 13 Republicans running for, for the nomination, it's not going to take a lot of votes to get the most. I mean, depending how this out breaks out, if if uh, if Craig gets 20, 25 percent of the vote, that may well be the most. You never know. So you, you can appeal to a very small fraction of the electorate and potentially win this thing, uh, considering the, the number of candidates who are out there. While we're talking about this, is it possible for any candidate, is it possible for Henry Hatter to run for a position, or Tom or Paul, or um, any anybody else, the ladies who are on the round table, to run for uh, public office on virtue, B-I-R-T-U-R-E, is it? Can we claim that we're virtuous people in any circumstance, no matter whether you've ever been caught doing anything? Because there's enough written about our history that we can be proclaimed, proclaimed to be a bad person. Um, how do you do that in the light of what's going on in our country today about everybody has flaws? And you're right, Henry. That if if you if you're running and you there's anything if you if you stole a candy bar when you were six years old, somebody's going to find out about it, and it'll be yes. be mentioned to somebody. That's true. Yes, <clears throat> and so I don't see how um, Craig uh, will. I don't know how he you bat, walk that back because yeah. people will remember, particularly the policemen. Well, yeah. we we shall see. I just I just couldn't <laughs> help thinking of that that Ed Muskie letter when I, when I saw all this commotion starting to circle this this fundraising letter. Yeah, well, it's sort of like Hillary Clinton talking about a basket of deplorables, or <laughs> it's true. Or yeah. Mitt Romney's forty-five. Was it Obama that talked about guns and Bibles? I don't recall, but. When you start throwing things around that are attacking people personally, I don't care what you're saying or to whom, you, it's going to come back and bite you really hard. And what's interesting yeah. is sometimes a single phrase gets, you gets recycled over and over like that. The word deplorables became yeah. a, a major campaign thing in the 16 all over the place. I pray. Well, I pray and Mitt Romney's uh, 45%. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. And, and tying his dog to the roof of his car didn't help. But. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. true. Well, Michigan businesses must not be allowed to refuse service to clients simply because customers may be lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer, argued Attorney General Dana Nessel on Wednesday before the state Supreme Court. But opponents say there's no legal basis for the court to determine the law bans this discrimination, arguing that such a ruling would amount to judicial activism that would circumvent the power and authority of the legislature. The debate underscores what could be a foundational case in Michigan, whether the state's Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act passed in 1976 bans discrimination based on sexual orientation. Can the Michigan Supreme Court interpret that Elliot Larson creates a legal justification for protecting LGBTQ rights under Michigan law, or would such an interpretation be, in fact, judicial activism? 
we'd have to see the provisions of the law. You know, they have several sections. You know. Well, I didn't. And I didn't put uh, a synopsis of the law in because it's been written about so much. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I, I can't answer that. Haven't they been trying to legislate? Expanding Elliot Larson to include yeah. LGBTQ, yeah, and that was that, that hasn't that hasn't happened yet. But I chuckled when you read about that because I I think in interpreting law, there's always judicial activism. I don't care what yeah. the decision is. Yes, yes. It establishes a standard. It establishes a rule, and then we we go forward from there. So <sighs> to say it's judicial activism is just throwing out a term that gets people riled up. And again, the law has to change for 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 modern situations in many ways. I, for I'm always struck by the fact that the uh, the Fourth Amendment had to change when we invented the telephone about what was a search and seizure. Uh, you know, nobody thought about that in 1792, but obviously it had to be interpreted over time. And now we're doing the same thing with cell phones and laptops sure. and all of that. And blood tests. You know, can exactly. you <laughs> can you remove my blood because you know you're. Searching and teasing me. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> very, very ingenious. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it depends upon circumstances, and I guess if you make a good argument, they can expand it. I think it it probably we would probably be better off if it was expanded legislatively, but it can happen in the courts. But you can't send your clients to Russia. Not now. There's an iron happen. curtain dropping between yeah. the rest of the world and Russia. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was ironic that the old iron curtain was actually imposed by Russia, and now it's being imposed on Russia. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're giving them the uh, the ultimate punishment. So no shamrock shakes from McDonald's for you guys. <laughs> We're shunning them, and shunning is one of the worst punishments ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, but I didn't think it was going to get serious until they put gas and oil on the table. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now it's yeah, serious, because, it, because that that is Russia's primary revenue stream. It is. It's how they get their money. But I've heard, of, I thought it was interesting when I heard that we are talking, and I don't know if this is true or rumor, with Venezuela about upping the uh, exports or imports from Venezuelan oil, and I heard others talk about Iran. The Iran. <laughs> Iran. No, no, but no. Also there, there, there is something going on with uh, Venezuela. Um, and and it's, it's interesting. It's almost as if uh, the new rule of thumb is we can't afford to sanction everybody. No. Yeah, but <laughs> if, if we're going to put sanctions other, on Russia, there are other oil-producing countries that we could increase imports from. And somebody mentioned Mexico. I don't know. Is it Pemex? I can't remember. Um, do we have uh, an import quota with Mexico? I don't know. I think we do. I think I read that. Yeah, well, uh, all of the oil-producing countries around the world that we do business with. And and you know I I did mention uh, mention Iran because this both something different. It's a change in the balance of power, guys. Something new, something right is new over here. It's, it's balanced by something that's old and we thought. Well, and, uh, on that looks, on that note, Henry, we have to take a short break. We'll be back with okay. more armchair politics right after this. 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue with uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. And uh, just before the break, I got a chance to uh, cut Henry off, and it's not Armchair Politics. If I haven't cut Henry off at least once during the show, my apologies, Henry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about the name. Sorry. I made a, a twist, put a little twist into the argument. But we were talking about the where we get our oil and how countries are lining up on the east side and the west side. And uh, I think uh, the idea of North Korea and China prompting uh, positive responses to Russia. Uh, well, let's 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 pause that for for just a moment because I have uh, uh, one more thing I want to squeeze in that's um, okay, Michigan related, and then we'll start talking about oh, Ukraine yeah. okay. and Russia Thank and you. all of that. A three-judge panel uh, dismissed a claim Friday by Michigan Republicans who alleged that the new congressional district map drawn by the state's redistricting commission arbitrarily divided counties and municipalities. The Republicans who sued the commissioners argued that counties and municipalities constitute, quote, communities of interest, such as, quote, populations that share cultural or historical characteristics or economic interests, that the Michigan Constitution requires the commission to reflect in new district lines. They asserted that the new map would dilute the votes, the voting strength of those uh, divided into separate voting districts, the unanimous six-page opinion written by U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit Judge Raymond Kethledge called the claim a blood relative of claims of partisan gerrymandering courts are not capable of deciding under prior U.S. Supreme Court ruling. Is the Court of Appeals blocked from ruling on congressional maps by the Supreme Court, or is this a cop-out? I don't think they're blocked, but I think as far as partisan gerrymandering, that's an issue they cannot rule on. I think racial gerrymandering might be the one that the Supreme Court has approved. This is a slippery phrase that that communities of interest is is, is a slippery phrase in 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 the current law. And it's not quite clear what it means. Is it a racial group? Is it an economic group? Is it a religious group? A geographic group? A or is it, or is it one of those euphemisms because the Supremes didn't want to say in districts that are primarily black? Yeah. 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 Well, I also think that um, there were several standards that came down. I don't recall now whether it was Voting Rights Act or what it was, but there were several standards that came down in evaluating whether a district met the standards, and one of those was community of interest. But I don't think it was at the top of the list. I think it was further down. Yeah, that's true. But it's, it, it's, 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 an, uh, it's not a crystal clear term exactly what we're talking about, Billy, and it can be used by, in, in all kind of categories. Uh, yeah. One, one thought I had, though, was as we see these lawsuits coming out against the current maps, I'm struck by the fact that they're coming from both Democrats and Republicans, 
And that may be a sign that actually they've done things right. If, if people are equally unhappy, nobody's going to be thrilled with whatever they do. It may be a sign that all things considered, that these maps... Yeah, they created districts that are that are that have competition. Right, where people yeah. actually have to compete to get and, elected. And that's going to make make the incumbents unhappy, obviously, for good reasons. And but it yeah, does. I've <laughs> I've received mail from some of them. <laughs> but, but but that's the fate of all political jurisdictions. So if we had left the everything the way it was. Things would still be just right. That's one of the things that's that's <laughs> troubling to me about um, this this process all the way around. Uh, you know, whether it's Supreme Court's ruling, you know, about the racial implications of of some kinds of gerrymandering, and and the partisan aspects of it. Um, now there's this communities of interest. The, the thing that's troubling to me is that if you're drawing districts to be split Republican and Democrat half and half or black and white half and half, isn't that gerrymandering just as much as going the other way where you're drawing a map to create all black districts and all white districts or all Republican or all Democrat, shouldn't we have a system that looks at it geographically and by total number of people within that geographical region and then let party and race fall where it may? Yeah, that sounds better. <clears throat> because well, we I have to live have... with each other. And the very mm-hmm. fact, by separating people... You're not going to get them to learn to live with each other and share the resources. There you are must going to be both. There are going to be neighborhoods that are all black. There are going to be yeah. neighborhoods that are all Republican. There are going to be, you know, neighborhoods yeah. that, um, you know, are are all Hispanic. Um, it, it those things are going to happen. Um, so, you know, why would we break up a town? so that we don't end up having a majority, well, like Flint, for example, so we don't have a majority of black voters in Flint? Well, well I think sometimes it's those can be... It's been done. Cost. If you go way back, yeah. You have ahead. to have a certain number of people within a district. And you're going yes. to have a breaking up, whether you look at a city like Detroit or you look at a city like Flint or you look like any other, because there's going to be a division that's going yeah. to divide people, whether it's a neighborhood, a community, a street, you know. So, but sometimes yeah, for- uh, existing laws and regulations can cause that. For example, consider gerrymandering, uh, not gerrymandering, but the redlining. Redlining. Yeah. Gosh, that did a lot of uh, irreparable stuff to just. But that was a private business practice that was clearly against racial integration. That had nothing to do with government action. But all government those, control. Some government loans were, were tied to that. Some yeah. of those GI you know, loans and redlining. That, that is so yeah. pathetic. Flint here. And, and no, I, would not, I don't consider myself part of being affected by redlining. But when I take a look at it, it's ugly. Oh, there there were a lot of governmental governmental uh, lo- loan programs that were tied to that, again, in Flint here especially. 
terms they of where supported they, they, it. Loans wouldn't, yeah, they supported those kind of things. It, they this supported. is back 30s, 40s, and the 50s. And maybe yeah. even the which, is part, which is part of the critical race theory regarding economic development and growth. Yeah. You know, in terms of the jury, the gerrymandering, I'm thinking here, you know, for, let's say, a congressional district, you need 770,000 people or so. And somebody's got to draw the line. So how you draw the lines? Do you break up a city? Do you break up a racial group? I mean... You do. The things when you equalize those populations. The, the core thing is you want equal populations. But where do you find your 770,000 people? There's a lot of ways to do that. I, right. yeah. It just seems like with the technology... It seems like with the technology we have now that we should be able to program a list of criteria into yeah. uh, some artificial intelligence other than humans and um and and have it look at a map a state map and 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 count that many people into as much of a grid as can be made meeting criteria like city boundaries county boundaries school districts there may be other factors that that would fit um, in terms of geography, um, you know, river boundaries and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know what you would want to include, but it just seems like we would be able to feed all that into a computer and, and have them spit out something that doesn't take race, that doesn't take party into consideration and, and meets the, the requirements of not breaking up communities of interest any more than is uh, practicably necessary. I think that's actually how they did it. I think so. Well, the, as, as Paul pointed out, you know, we're getting as many complaints from one side of the aisle as the other. It, yeah. may, it may be, as, and Paul, you'll remember this because we both have the same videotape, the collection of uh, uh, JFK comments at press conferences when he was asked about uh, how he was doing with civil rights and that, you know, there was a, a poll out that said that 50% of the people said he was, uh, wasn't was going fast enough on, on civil rights. And he said, well, if 50% think I'm not going fast enough and 50% think I'm going too fast, we're probably going at about the right tempo. <laughs> about the right speed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, I think we'll be surprised at what has happened because of what we got out of our new commission that did all of this redistricting because not everybody's happy. There's a whole yeah. lot of people that are unhappy. But the, but the intent of that was well-intended. There, uh, there were people who wanted it one way and they would not see it any other way. They wanted no compromises. Well, well, you can't, well, competitive, you can't competitive. overcome that kind of uh, uh, attitude for people. You just have to go out and use the process and establish the standard and I think, present it back to the people and let the people decide. One I day think, be done with it. I think going back to Tom's original question about apportionment, um, if you look at the one person, one vote, you have to look at is it possible for your vote to be counted. Therefore, you need to be in a district that is competitive where you have a chance or an opportunity for your vote to actually count. 
Because if you have a district that is heavily weighted one way or the other as far as party, what you have is a bunch of disaffected voters who know there's no sense in voting because their vote's not going to count. Exactly. So competitive, Go ahead. competitive districts are vital. Yeah, and I think that there is a formula that the, the current commission has used along those lines that does talk about wasted votes. And they've really reached, at least the numbers I saw, suggest they have reached the point where there are but, relatively few yeah. wasted votes in most of those districts. So, well, I mean, that's it's not a, perfect, you but call it's pretty it darn good. You call it wasted votes. For both people who put the country together, didn't call it a wasted vote. They call it an opinion. You expressed your opinion. If you weren't victorious, then that's the way it was. But this wasted vote, that, that uh, desecrates well, no, the, the, the whole idea, idea was, of the voting system. I think what Bobby is saying is that if in a non-competitive district, let's say here in, in the city of Flint, very democratic area. Like the Republicans, for example. Yeah, yeah. If you're yeah. a Republican in Flint, you may, you may say, why should I vote? I'm not going to win yes. anything. And the reverse, though, is also true. If you're a Democrat, you'll say, why should I vote? I know my guy's going to win. So both yeah. sides may be discouraged when you have a non-competitive district. But that's right. the way life is, and you have to change that. Only time and other events can change that. You can't change it, and we can't change it. Time will change no. it. So we changed it by creating a commission that looked at it and did redistricting <laughs> that was non supposedly nonpartisan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't want to so, live um I wouldn't want to live in Chinatown if I didn't like Chinese food. <laughs> yeah. True. Right. <laughs> um, if you could afford to leave Chinatown you could go get a hamburger. Well, that's true. That's well, true. Well, Chinatown is uh, very rich too. They're rich Chinese guys. Don't put the Chinese down. Well, they have they have uh, found a way to overcome the challenges of racism or division or something like that. They do quite well. And besides, they have some of the most educated kids in the country. So they're doing well. Um, there's so much going on about Ukraine and the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the world's response to it. I think what I'll do is rather than than pull from uh, a couple of stories that I collected from uh, I think CNN. Um I'm I'm just going to go to the to the questions because we it's all we're seeing in the news. Yeah. We already know what the backstories are. But the big question is, you know, since um Zelensky made his pitch to US lawmakers Saturday, about um, getting more assistance, including the establishment of a no-fly zone, and there's been a lot of debate about that. Um, I, I guess the question is, is there an effective way to give aid and support to Ukraine without moving toward World War III? Hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's a Putin dictates. He says, don't... Don't uh, enable a no-fly zone, or I will turn the bomb on you. Do you? I well, I think this guy. I think this guy is serious. When I you've lost everything, when you lost everything, like he has, he's lost his reputation and his power to act and stuff like that. He has nothing else to lose. Well, Henry, in some way, I I agree with you. I think whatever Putin interprets as a reaction that he interprets as war against him is what we're stuck with. 
Yes, I think you're right. Finally, and we so, finally agree on something. That's <laughs> every once in a while, every once in a while, we do, Henry. I think it's really amazing. But I think I think we are pretty much. Um, I think in order for us to prevail or to avoid World War Three, we have to be smarter than he is. But we have to be strategic in bringing together all of the other interests because certainly China and North Korea are not going to agree with us, and they're a pretty no. powerful group. I and was look at how many people across. When, when look they, at how many countries do have the nuclear bomb. Look yeah. at how many do. Yeah. When they first great. started um, with sanctions against Russia, I was surprised to see that the sanctions that had been in place that were eased by, by Donald Trump when he was president and some that had been you know, reinforced since uh, Joe Biden became president, that all of those sanctions bypassed oil and gas. Oh. And I was yeah. surprised by that. I, in fact, I think I was kind of stunned by it. And I thought, yeah, it's an inconvenience to us, but if we're going to make this stand, how do you make yeah. it except for the stuff that really matters? You know, how do yeah. you put sanctions well, on the, a country? The key there say, was that Europe was so dependent. I mean, we, we, yes, we, get, I, we, we get 3% my, or so from, yes, from yes. Russia, but, but Europe yeah. is so much more dependent. We wanted to keep NATO together. That yeah, you want to, you would devastate problem. Europe by uh, stopping the Russian oil flow. But, but, we but don't if everybody's that. agreed that there should be sanctions against Russia, why wouldn't you make the necessary adjustments to, to do sanctions that really have an impact? Yeah. And and I think now that we're talking about oil and gas, even though, you know, at uh, last time I checked, it was uh, up to four and a quarter in Michigan. I've seen some of yeah some four and a quarters around yesterday. Um, and you know who knows by by tomorrow it might be you know five dollars. Um, but despite that, that seems to be the thing that will do the most good. Well, and I really kind of wonder at some point without boots the, on the ground, you know, whether the, the either the, the oligarchs or the other Russian powers that be, even the, American, the Russian people, are going to turn on him. It may not be immediate, but I'm I'm thinking of a parallel with the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, a few years after the Cuban Missile Crisis, Khrushchev was out, and I wonder if, if depending how this plays out, whether it won't be immediate, but I think a, a short after this this whole Ukrainian scenario is done, as I say, depending on how it plays out, whether or not the powers that be are going to say it's time for Putin to take a walk. I, I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see that a few years down the but road. But don't, don't you think, Paul, that as long as he has the military with him, he has the power to True. imprison people and to do all of the things he's currently doing? Um, I remember sort of the rule of thumb that any autocrat, as long as he has the military with him, can rule with impunity. Um, the oligarchs can go against him. The middle class can go against him. He can arrest people. He's already doing that. But until the military decides they're no right. longer going to go along with this, he's going to continue doing what he's doing, I'm afraid. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, then, and again, there too, I wonder at some point, will the generals figure they've had enough of this kind of stuff too? I, I don't know. Pure speculation. Yeah, because will they get tired of, of not winning? 
Not winning it, casualties and, and you know, yeah. and, be, and perhaps it took them a long time to get out of Afghanistan. But that's right. They, that's exactly right. Yeah, and I'm also struck by the fact that even if they do conquer Ukraine, which I suspect they probably will, they're going to have a guerrilla war on their hands for years to come. I mean, it, I suspect it's not going to be it's not going to be a peaceful occupation of, of Ukraine, even if they do achieve that. Uh, and how long do they want to sit on that kind of a time bomb? Yeah, it, it all depends on that. And going back to the gasoline oil, I think the one thing in the United States which held us back was people here get more PO'd over the price of gasoline and the gallon of milk than they do most anything else. And so for our government to impose a sanction on the import of Russian oil was a real big political risk as well. And so I can yeah. understand why it took them so long to do that. But look at Germany. They canceled that. Um, yeah, yeah. Germany together that stepped pipeline. up very quickly, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so a lot of countries are doing it. Yeah, and that's kind of risky for German Germany. By the way, having um, said that, I'm also, I'm also struck by the fact that if we only get 3% of our gas from, from Russia... How does that explain the dramatic <laughs> increase in the last week? I mean, it's almost yeah. a I thought the same thing in the Paul. last week. That's with a P D, and you know the other word. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna be on our list next week or two weeks down the road. I think we're gonna be talking about uh, price gouging with uh, with fuel. <laughs> Well, but you there's know, the, good things going on uh, due to this war, guys. We haven't thought about, and and I'm always we need to have a segment of the things we missed. I think immigrants coming from Europe will do America great for change because it's going to delay the paradigm shift in this country that people are all upset about, the critical race theory and stuff like that. This will help us well to reestablish the dominance of Caucasians <laughs> in this country. White supremacy. And, uh, oh, yeah. Hang on, hang on, hang on. No, we don't talk about white supremacy. All whites are not that way. There's some whites that are liberal and that are use common sense and good judgment. Uh, and, and then we, that will balance what's going on at the southern border. And I know, and not only these people from uh, you, from Europe, they're intelligent and they're smart and they're uh, professionalized and they have money and they have good work ethics and stuff like that. They will renew the American people who have uh, the privileged and overburdened with uh, too much of everything and don't care for the Constitution. But the new people coming in, they give us new energy and new life. The end. Uh, I have a dear friend back in Maryland who called me the other day, and she's with a group that's working on um, refugee and resettlement issues, primarily with women and children, on a, a project out of the White House. There are people working on it. There are people who are actually looking at how do we integrate. And I don't know if her project is primarily what's happening overseas or whether it's going to involve bringing people here. I didn't talk at that, that depth. But I'm going to a roundtable this afternoon to uh, talk with our lieutenant governor about women's issues. And I'm going to raise the question, is Michigan ready? Do we have a program in place to um, 
encourage and accept refugees in the Ukrainian crisis. It would be interesting if yeah. uh, if we do. Anyway, we have to take a short break. We'll be. I can't believe how fast the time is going, everybody. Yeah. Um, we have to take a break here, and we'll be back with our final segment, uh, the the X Files, when we return. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. 
Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company, and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, the part where we look at those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. Starting with, a thief who broke into a freight truck in Denver this week made out with some macabre cargo, a box of human heads. According to a release from the Denver Police Department, the truck was parked in East Denver when someone broke in sometime between 2.30 p.m. on Wednesday, March 2nd and 9.30 a.m. on Thursday, March 3rd. The unknown suspect stole a dolly and a box labeled Exempt Human Specimen. The box was full of human heads meant to be used for medical research. The box also bore a science care label, according to KDVR. Science care is a program for donating bodies to science for research and education purposes. At this point, no arrests have been made, and investigators are working to gather more information and recover the stolen human remains, Denver police said on Saturday. Do you think this might be time for a posse of uh, headless horsemen? Oh. <laughs> oh. I was thinking more of Dr. Frankenstein. You know, like, <laughs> I wonder if there's a laboratory someplace with a ceiling that opens up and lightning comes through. Yeah, or we, we've got to get ahead of this crime spree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, bad joke, bad joke. Oh, yes. You know what's weird about it is, you know, is that something that the thieves stumbled across by accident, or is that what they intended to steal? And if so, why? Why? What yes. are they going to do with it? <laughs> Good question. I, I don't mean, know. I, I can understand if it was some kind of black market transplant thing, you know, and they were going after lungs or hearts <laughs> or livers or something. But human heads, you know, they're they're not yeah. interchangeable. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> and I would wonder if the brain was still intact or had it already been... Re- I mean, you know, what is the <laughs> condition of the yeah. head? Yeah. The box full yeah. of Abbey Normals. Right, um, Abbey Normals, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder. It'll be interesting to follow this and find out how, you know, how, what is it really going to happen? Yeah. Are they going it's, to find them abandoned someplace? 
I hope not, but the human heads can be used for a lot of impact studies and brain cavity sizes and for cultural reasons. And, so you uh, think a bunch of graduate students might have taken this on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are the most like Renegade medical students? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Remember before they actually allowed cadavers to be in laboratories that people who were studying medicine would go out and dig up fresh... That's fresh true. You're right. Yeah. 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 At the university, they thought I was mad. Anyway. (laughs) But it did result in something good coming out of it because we found, we had lots of discoveries. Oh, you mean digging up bodies? I was thinking about stealing human hands. Even the Frankenstein movies, how they did it and what they did and what they learned, that was all very beneficial in real life if people did it. And made, sure for yeah. made for yes, a good story. Made for a good story. Yes. Well, Brain Box Professor Brian Cox does not believe in aliens, he revealed. The popular television physicist argues it is unlikely they exist because the chances of sophisticated life evolving like humans are simply too low. Instead, he believes there's probably nothing else and that we are the only civilization in this galaxy at least. The 54-year-old explained that because it took so long for humans to evolve from a single cell in such extraordinary circumstances, he doesn't think it has been repeated. Speaking to Noble Rot magazine, he said, you can confine the argument to the galaxy, to the Milky Way, because we're never going to contact anything outside that, and nothing's ever contacting us from different galaxies. Does this mean there's only one sophisticated species per galaxy? I like the word sophisticated. If we're sophisticated, yeah. I'd hate to yeah. see what else yeah, is out there. There's some debate about whether there's intelligent life on the Earth, too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> We're not yeah. sure about well, that. In fact, well, I think well, that's... Anytime you say that the President of the United States is crazy or insane, and then you call his opponent, um, Biden, or rather Putin, insane, you have described the same person. Well, you know, I, I think that's why this particular uh, professor used the word sophisticated in yes. reference to... Um, the the actual structure and form that humans are a sophisticated form, not necessarily that you know we go to the opera. <laughs> no, but I I was curious. What did you say that he was a professor of? I missed that. Uh, it says brain but- box professor. Huh. Now I don't know what I have read. I, th- I have read a lot of articles about physicists who have very different views about everything regarding the nature of matter and the reality of the universe. And so, if he was a physicist, I would be curious about that. But I it doesn't I, sound like he is. I, I think his his uh, primary area of study probably was in physics, um, but I think he's really. I think Brain Box is a television program in the UK, oh. and he's the host of that, um, and claims with some credibility to be a physicist. Well, there, there's a lot of credence to naming him a sophist, 
because a sophist is a is a philosopher, right? No, 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 physicist, uh, pre- someone who physicist. studied physics. Yeah, but this is what I mean, a sophist. A sophist, if you go back and define the word, is a person who, who were pre-Socrates. Oh, and you're talking sophist. about the use of the word sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I, 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 oh, okay. I, I, I was on the wrong yes. page there for a minute, Henry. My apologies. Oh, um, that's all right. Because when you mention sophists and physics, I put the two together. <clears throat> here's, here's a weird one. A religious work of art has been removed from an Italian basilica after a local priest and the businessman who commissioned the painting were found among the holy images. The painting was gifted to the Cathedral of Canossa in Puglia, southern Italy, I think that's how you say it, uh, but caused uh, controversy upon further inspection. The image featured the boss of the charity which commissioned the painting, um, as well as the priest who runs the cathedral. People shared their own reproductions of the artwork online featuring other famous faces inserted onto the canvas. Uh, Giuseppe uh, Antonio Lamuschio, or Lamuschio, uh, the artist behind the painting, told local media that he claims full autonomy in my interpretive choices. Um, is, is including benefactors in religious paintings blasphemous? I think it probably has gone on for a long time. Yes, yeah, so I thought. Too. In fact, I, it, it, including people in paintings, isn't isn't Henry Ford included in that one in the DIA? That big painting of industry on the lobby of the DIA, the mm-hmm. Trade Institute of Arts. I think I think yeah. Ford is part of that, and maybe yeah. a few other people too. I think you're right. And yeah, why, I think if you go not? back to Renaissance, if you go back to the Renaissance era, I bet you find a lot of it too. I would guess that's true. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for uh, the X-Files and armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program. We have about, uh, oh, 45 seconds to go before uh, wrapping up, so that gives me a chance to uh, thank Bobby Clayton Walton for sitting in with the group today. Thank you so much, Bobby. It's always a treat when you're here. I always enjoy when you invite me to join you guys because it stimulates my brain that is still in my head that hasn't been stolen yet. <laughs> glad to hear oh, that, Bobby. Oh, oh Bobby, you are so clever. Yeah. And, and to the, we can uh, learn from you. And and I want to say thanks, as always, to uh, the steadfast roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki. Paul, thank you. And always Henry, great to be here. And Henry, thank you as well. You're welcome. What a great show. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week, and uh, that wraps it up for today's uh, edition of the Tom Sumner Program. That's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I will be back tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern, live with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope you will be, too. In the meantime, have a great day, and uh, good night, everybody. a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.